I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. And I'm Caroline Winter in Adelaide, Australia. And I'm Pamela Lawrence in San Francisco, California. Welcome to Dog Edition, the first show designed for you to listen to while you walk your dogs. Coming up, our Dog Days of Summer season continues with the latest hound headlines and when Harry met Minnie. What happens when you say yes after a chance encounter? Also, the power of upward dogology. Stick around to find out just what that is and how it's helping dogs in need and the people who are devoted to them. So if you love dogs as much as we do, pause what you're doing, leash up your pup, and let's take a walk. We've got a lot to talk about on today's episode of Dog Edition. Hey, Pepper, want to go for a walk? Hey, team, I, I have some regretful news to share with you. So let's head on over to the hydrant so I can let you know that um, just because you name your dog Einstein does not actually guarantee that he or she will be a genius. What? <laughs> Shock horror. <laughs> but seriously, sometimes when I'm out and about and I see a dog, I will look at that dog and I'll say, oh my gosh, that dog is so cute, right? And other times I'll say, wow, that dog looks really, really smart because there's just something, something going on in the eyes that makes me think that. And for some reason, it's usually a border collie. Do you guys know what I mean? I don't have border collies, but I definitely see that in my Maltese's eyes. But I think they're different types of intelligence. Um manipulative and cagey and calculating or just sweet and also manipulative. So I think you can see that in the eyes. Carol, what about you and, and your dog, Harvey? Well, Harvey's a genius. I think we all know that. <laughs> we should, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I used to have a board. His middle name cross- is Einstein. That's right. That's right. You don't don't want to put too much pressure on on the pup. <laughs> we had a border collie crossed with a Kelpie, the working dog, um, when I was a kid growing up, and uh, beautiful dog. Casey was was gorgeous. Don't know that he was the sharpest tool in in the shed, <laughs> but but he was only half border collie, so maybe maybe that was why. Oh, there you go. Um, but uh, look, isn't it typical for all of us, dog parents, dog lovers, to think that we have a genius on four legs? Absolutely. I've met a few yeah. parents who feel the same way with two-legged children. <laughs> yes. Oh, come on. All children are geniuses <laughs> as well, aren't they? <laughs> as Garrison Keillor would say, all the people are above average. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And and look, sure, our dogs seem to read our facial expressions or understand some words we say to them, like treats and walkies. Mm-hmm. But does that make them geniuses or does it just make them good communicators? Well, they have to be good communicators, of course, because, you know, dogs depend on us for all of their needs. They're not going off to the grocery store and they're not hunting their food down and they're certainly not going to the store to buy dog beds. (laughs) But you actually bring up an interesting point. The fact that, you know, some dogs that we call gifted or exceptional, aren't they that? Or do they have pretty much all the same level of intelligence and we're ascribing things to them that are not real? Okay, well, I remember a border collie named Chaser who (laughs) was dubbed the smartest dog in the world. Remember Chaser? See, she could recognize and actually, more importantly, remember over 1,000 nouns 
one for each of her toys, which seems like an awful lot of toys for any dog. Let <laughs> alone being able to name them. Right? Spoiled. But um, so, but I'd say that that is pretty exceptional. And mm. okay, maybe why I associate Border Collies with intelligence in dogs. I remember Chaser, but one dog doesn't really make for a great sample size. No. And that is why a scientist by the name of Claudia Fugaza, who is an ethologist, who is someone who studies animal behavior in nature as opposed to like in a laboratory, an ethologist, studies dog cognition at a university in Budapest, and I'm going to try to pronounce this, is Iotovos Lorand University. For all of you listening in Budapest, please correct me. Uh, She and her colleagues have asked the owners of 34 pet dogs, various breeds, not just Border Collies, to teach their canines the name of two separate toys. Just two. Two. Mm -hmm. Two. Just two. Hmm. See, that to me seems a little bit easy. Mm. I think so easy that even my pepper can do that. (laughs) Well, don't be so sure, Pam, because it turns out that of those 34 animals... Only one passed the test, and it was a border collie okay. named Oliver. What? Only one dog passed the test of learning two toys. <laughs> that just doesn't seem like a stretch at all. <laughs> two toys. True. Although now I think about it and I look lovingly at Harvey, there are a few variables that you need to consider, like how long did the dogs have to learn the name of the two toys? Did they stop there or did the researchers see how many toys the dogs could learn? If, as Pam said, Chaser learned over a 1,000, I'm guessing this experiment probably took a bit of time. A lot of questions there, Newshound. Well, the first stage of the experiment took three months, so it took three months for them to do it. And here's how the experiment worked. Owners were instructed to play fetch with their dog while repeating the name of the toy. And then once a month with a scientist, an ethologist, observing, the owners tested the progress by asking the dog to retrieve one or two of the toys by name. Hmm. Were these uh, were these puppies or adult dogs? What are we talking about here? Both. It was a range of ages. Hmm. And only, sorry, I'm going to go back to this. And only one dog <laughs> was able to match a single word to a toy. Okay. That's amazing. I really would have expected it to be much higher. Only one dog. Oliver could pass the first stage, and Oliver was pretty special because she went on to identify 21 toys by name. However, sadly, Oliver died before she could be tested further. That is sad, but I'm going to point out that Oliver was a border collie. See? (laughs) I told you, they're the smartest dogs ever. That's Pam's best, a border Pam. collie pusher. <laughs> <laughs> I know, border collie. Pu- I don't you even, even have, have a border collie. Not no, so just smart. fast because 18 okay. of the 33 dogs that no, failed were also border collies. Aha. Aha. So like people, mm. dogs have a range of intelligence mm-hmm. and some can even be considered genius like my griddle. Right, I'm going to test Harvey. Harvey! <laughs> you can test Harvey and... <laughs> You at home can test your own dog because you can take the project's Genius Dog Challenge. It's online, and we'll put a link to it in today's show notes. Find out and let us know how your dog scores. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dog Edition. And now, a message from your dog. 
every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpuff. The green, grassy, beef liver spike smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. Everpuff, traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. It helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day, because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I wouldn't have it any other way. I want my Everpup. It just makes me feel good. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. Welcome back to Dog Edition. Once upon a time, or more precisely, July 23rd, 2016, at about 8.30 in the morning, a chance encounter at the Union Square Farmer's Market in New York City began what can only be described as a fairy tale, but one with a complicated happily ever after. And I looked over and I saw somebody I hadn't seen in a year or two. That's Martha Teichner, longtime CBS News correspondent and award-winning journalist, She was at the farmer's market that day with her bull terrier, Minnie. They were both mourning the death of Goose, Martha's other bull terrier, and Minnie's close companion for many years. That's when she bumped into Stephen Miller Siegel. They were acquainted, as many New Yorkers are, from walking their dogs around the neighborhood. Well, there he was at the farmer's market. I hadn't seen him in a year or two. I had never seen him at the farmer's market. Uh, He came over and said, well, where's Goose? And I told him that Goose had died and that I had been searching for an older bull terrier male to um, be a companion to Minnie. Call that meeting a coincidence, or maybe fate, or the guiding hand of the universe. Call it what you like. What happened next feels like one of those only in New York experiences. And he pulled out his phone. And he showed me a picture that he had taken um, when we were walking along um, the river uh, a couple of years before. And he said, remember, um, I took this picture of Minnie and Goose um, to send to my friend Carol, who had a bull terrier. And and I uh, said, yeah. And he said, well, um, it's my friend Carol Fertig. And she's dying of liver cancer, and her dog, Harry, is 11 and a half, and um, nobody wants him. And she's desperate to find a home for him because she's been warned that she will probably have to have him put down um, because he will be difficult to rehome. And um, he said, would you take him? It was a deceptively simple question. 
Could this be the answer to Martha's wish for a companion for Minnie? I heard this sound bubbling up out of me saying, well, yes, if they get along. That condition, if they get along, was an out if Martha wanted to take it. But after learning a little bit about Carol Fertig... Carol was arresting and larger than life and well-read. She was smart. She was incredibly funny. She had a rapier-like sense of humor, uh, which stayed with her till the very, very, very end of her life. It seemed like a foregone conclusion. Martha would take Harry when the time came. A first date was arranged for the dogs. We sat out on the stoop for a couple of hours and um, the dogs ignored each other completely. And um, Minnie kind of flounced herself around and showed Harry her behind. And Harry completely ignored her and went digging in my pocket for treats. But the humans on that stoop had a lovely time. It was the beginning of a close and wonderful friendship. But sadly, one that would come with an ending. You know, you worry about what it's going to be like meeting and getting to know and conversing with someone who's dying. You worry that it's going to be horrible, but it wasn't. Carol's terminal liver cancer was the result of practically living next door to Ground Zero in the aftermath of 9-11. The two women had work to do. They had limited time to get Harry and Minnie to fall in love. Carol and I were like silly um, mothers matchmaking. I would say that by the third time Harry came over, it was pretty clear they would get along. They started to play with each other and roughhouse and do all the moves and Minnie diving under tables and Harry trying to go after her and, and Minnie on the couch running back and forth, teasing him while he t t tried to figure out what was going on. And, and Harry with his the bowl, uh, the metal bowl filled with tennis balls that he always carried around with him, jiggling it in his teeth and making noise with it and throwing the tennis balls and Minnie tearing after. I mean, that kind of thing made it pretty clear that they liked each other. It was puppy love after all or maybe more senior love. But Carol wasn't ready to turn Harry over to Martha just yet. I had expected her to say, okay, here's Harry, two, three meetings, but it didn't work that way at all. And it, I came to realize very quickly that Harry symbolized life as she knew it, that she had to keep him as long as possible. Because even if I said yes, um, having Harry till she couldn't take care of him anymore was how Carol clung to life. And, um, and anyway, I was fine with that because I really got to like the get-togethers. Um, they were ostensibly to socialize the dogs, but pretty soon they were gatherings of friends. This unexpected friendship could have been predestined. Fate had intervened years earlier in the 1990s. I was walking up 10th Avenue, not too far from my house, and there was an, a restaurant with outdoor tables. And there she was sitting with her first bull terrier, a white one named Violet. Martha stopped to introduce herself as a fellow dog lover of bull terriers. It was an encounter that she never forgot. There was this singular looking person with the big hat and the 
and big dark glasses and a dog named Violet, you don't ever forget a bull terrier named Violet. Fate stepped in once again when Carol took Harry to the vet. Martha's bull terriers happened to be there, that very same vet, at the very same time. And although Martha wasn't there with them, Carol learned who they belonged to. Martha recounts what Carol later said about that day. Ah, Martha Teichner has bull terriers, and she knew who I was because she watched Sunday morning every Sunday. She said to me, you might not believe this, but because I knew about your dogs, she said, one of the very first things I thought after I was diagnosed was, wouldn't it be great if Martha Teichner took Harry? Well, of course, she didn't even have any connection with me at that point. It wasn't until Martha bumped into Stephen that fateful morning at the farmer's market, that morning when the simple question, would you take him, was asked. That is when all these little coincidences began to form the connections that led to this beautiful but complicated fairy tale. I said yes, and uh, it... it um was really, really, really profoundly meaningful to me uh, because it led me to a set of experiences that I will treasure for the rest of my life. And yes, there were sad moments and there were, you know, ultimately I knew how the story would end, both for Carol and for Harry. Uh, but on the road to that, there was just so much richness and, and so much pleasure and so much fun even. And I came away completely um, revitalized in a way because I was able to um, break out and say yes. And like all fairy tales, this one came to an end. After Carol passed away, Harry lived with Martha for 16 months before he died. Shortly thereafter, Minnie also crossed the Rainbow Bridge. With Carol's blessing, Martha wrote their story. It's called When Harry Met Minnie. The book is in stores now and also available as an audiobook, read in Martha's iconic voice. It's the legacy they all deserve and one that came from simply saying, Yes. And now, a new story has begun for Martha Teichner. She adopted Gurley recently, another bull terrier. Gurley, what? My dog wants to go out. Um, can I go let her out? Okay, I'll be right back. Gurley! We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Dog Edition. Now, we've got a, a new mission here at Dog Edition, and that's to find some of the most interesting and entertaining podcasts and YouTube channels and share them with other dog lovers. I know word of mouth is how I try new shows, and usually it's shows that I haven't heard about before. Right. So in the spirit of sharing, we're including a snippet of our new summer show, Dog Lovers Live, here on Dog Edition. It's where Jim speaks to a dog-loving podcaster or YouTuber each week to learn about what they do and what makes them tick. You can watch the whole show, but here's a taster of Jim's latest guest, Billy Groom. On the latest Dog Lovers Live, I sat down with a woman who wears a lot of hats. Billy Groom is an author and a podcaster and a cognitive behavioral therapist 
and she's also the creator of something that she calls Upward Dogology. Here's some of our conversation where we find out how Billy is using that approach to change the lives of dogs and their owners. Billy, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm really enjoying this. Thanks, James. You and I have spoken in the past, and would you say that's fair that you are a different kind of dog trainer? <laughs> yes, I've been called industry disruptor. I've been called all sorts of things. In a nutshell, how do you describe your methodology? And it's called upward dogology. It is an actual methodology. It's a formula. And it adheres to the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy. So conventional techniques adhere to the principles of conditioning methodologies. So both are scientifically proven and both are part of mainstream psychology and child rearing. So my methodology uh, just has a different approach. The first step in learning cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs is to just change that mindset from the conditioning mentality and understand the differences. One isn't better or worse than the other, but to understand the differences and then people- The differences between- the two methodologies, conditioning, which is your conventional operant conditioning, counter conditioning, classical conditioning. And that's how it most dog trainer training is about. Right. Okay. And then you have cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a different approach. So to, to put it in a little bit of a nutshell, conditioning methodologies, in, in, not just even in dog training, but just in general, they use reinforcements to encourage wanted behavior and to discourage unwanted behavior. How the individual trainer or psychologist or parent does that is, is their own. Cognitive behavioral therapy uses skill sets to change perception, to change behavior. When you say skill sets, an example of a skill set is define that. So skill sets are, as opposed to a reinforcement, is a, a tangible, usually tangible. It could be a pat or a praise or a treat or a toy. And that's what's transferred as they go through. So they're using a reinforcement to encourage behavior. Cognitive behavioral therapy develops platform skills, which are different for every dog in every situation. How did you come across it? How did you develop this CBT? I actually didn't even grow up with dogs. I just started to take in dogs without even researching. And I just worked with them on my own and learned the way I worked with them. It was later that I discovered it was different. And what I really learned was that people struggled in that adolescent stage. I saw a problem and I wanted to find a solution. If your dog got into the garbage, if your dog doesn't know it's wrong to get into the garbage, you know, you come home and he's just standing there happy as can be. He doesn't even know that he did anything. You would use a conditioning, you know, just regular conditioning methods would address that. Mm -hmm. If your dog knows it's wrong, he was doing it because you gypped him on his walk. Mm -hmm. He's using a lot of cognitive skills there. He mm -hmm. knows right from wrong. He knows you don't want him to do that. He knows how to push the lever on the garbage pail because he's seen you do it with his foot. So he did it with his paw. He knows, he remembers that you put the chicken wings in the garbage. And he knows it's going to piss you off. So those are a lot of cognitive skills going on. So when it, if the reason for getting into the garbage is more along those lines you'd want to use cognitive behavioral therapy. So what we would do is establish skills and establish abilities, change the dog's perception, and allow 
you to be able to leave next time and know how to do that and change your schedule so that the dog doesn't do the behavior. So they would start at the beginning of the program and work their way through. They would learn the skills and how to apply it. So the next time they come home and they have to jip the walk, that dog doesn't get into the garbage. So that's... Because the dog has learned that that learned behavior that doesn't get rewarded either way. It just It's not about the behavior. Something. It's the perception. And that's the huge the mindset change, right? So back to the beginning where yeah. conditioning methods focus on teaching right from wrong behavior, which is why they're so <laughs> good with puppies. Whereas mm -hmm. we change perception, provide options, and allow the dog to choose to not do that behavior. We're empowering them to make the right choices. And we're providing them with skills that allow them to do that. That was Billy Groom, who hosts the podcast Dog Training Disrupted Upward Dogology. And you can watch Jim's whole chat with her and all our Dog Lovers Live chats over the summer for our limited series. You can find it at dogloverslive.com. Well, that's all for today's episode of Dog Edition. I want to thank you for bringing us along with you on your walk today. Dog Podcast Network has a sister show called The Long Leash. It's where you can hear Jim's extended conversations with some of our guests from this show. This week, I speak with Nick Palmgarden, who is a writer for The New Yorker. He talks in depth about his latest article, which got a lot of attention. It started out as a simple story on pandemic pets. But as you'll hear in the show, it turned into a darker exploration of the strangeness of human beings and dogs. And on the next episode of Dog Edition, I scream, you scream, we all scream for Ben and Jerry's doggy dessert ice cream. Yay! <laughs> we taste it. During the summer, why not listen to our back catalog of shows at dogedition.com and let us know what you think. And there's a little button on the bottom right of every episode page. It looks like a microphone. So you can leave us a voicemail and share your stories and thoughts with us. Who knows? We may work one of those into a future episode. Follow Dog Edition in whatever podcast app you use to listen and leave us a review. It'll help us bring you more great stories. I'm Caroline Winter, your resident news hound. And I'm Pamela Lawrence. See you at the dog park. I'm James Jacobson. Again, thank you for listening today and hitting the play button. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.